0: Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we are finishing up our time together here, and I feel the topic that we're talking about today is very, very important. Um, And especially uh, in the times that we're living in, Father, when it seems like Satan is throwing everything our way, it's hard to understand uh, everything that's happening. And sometimes uh, Satan's work is so elusive uh, that we don't catch it until sometimes it's too late. So I pray today, Father, for your spirit as we wrap up our time together, and I pray that you would give us good dialogue, good conversation, and may you bless us with understanding from your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. What's the t-shirt say on the screen? All right. And so we want to put a little more in there at the bottom. It says, I hear you, God, but I'm not listening. You ever heard anybody say that? I hear you, but I'm not listening. Or talk to the hand because, you know, the face isn't hearing it, or however that goes. I think that oftentimes we treat God that way and we don't realize it. And especially as young people, when we get it in our hearts that that we want something, when counsel is just hitting us in the face, when people are telling us what we need to do, when God is speaking through godly people, uh, trying to help us... uh, stay away from that destructive path, we always say, or we sometimes say, I hear you, God, but I'm not listening. And maybe we're not saying it with our words, but maybe we're saying it with our actions. When I was um, B.C. before Christ, I was kind of saying those things. I uh, I was hearing God speak to me, but I, I turned Him away. I was asking Him to be the center of my life, uh, but in asking Him to be the center of my life, I was still doing what I wanted to do in in relationships. And, you know, He was there, I believe that he was listening, but ultimately he had to pull away because he couldn't bless that relationship that I was continuing to pursue. And so I think about what God has done and uh, being there for us and telling us he's listening even when we're not. But ultimately at some point in time, if we keep rejecting and we keep rejecting, he pulls away because he's not in agreement with the things that we're doing. And so if he's not in agreement with the things that we're doing, uh, he'll pull away. And the thing that happens to us is that there's an increase of pain an increase of suffering when the results finally set in from the bad uh, decisions that we make and so oftentimes we have this in our hearts i hear you god but i'm not listening and we're telling people we're listening and we we want to listen to god we're telling god yeah i hear you but our actions are saying something else Um, without the grace of god there is no possible way to have a good relationship do you believe that And the only way to have the grace of God is to say yes to him and and to continue to listen and follow the counsel that he gives. I get um, people who ask me things all the time where I work. And it's probably the same for Matt. They always have questions for you as a teacher, as a leader. And sometimes they'll come and ask you, what should I do in this situation? Or what should I do in that situation? And you tell them exactly what they need to do and what they need to consider. And they hear you and they say yes, but they'll go right out and not acknowledge anything that you just say to them. And then the results of their bad decisions take place and they come back and say, oh, this happened and I wish it wouldn't have happened. And what do I do now? And my thought at that time is, why do I want to tell you anything more when you haven't listened initially to the things that I've said? And it may seem kind of harsh, but at the same time, if people aren't listening, it's hard to continue to tell them things when they haven't taken those first few things and used what you've given to them. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so God sometimes has to pull away to leave us to our own devices, if you will. We um, fall into... Bad relationships, we have uh, difficult times in those relationships, and then we're wondering why, and it's because we haven't listened to the counsel of God. Uh, in the Bible, we find that it teaches us God will not bless a relationship we've presumptuously entered into without His counsel and without His guidance. And we find this principle right here in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? What's Paul's answer? God forbid, he says, How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer in sin. And I think Paul is basically telling us that God cannot bless a relationship that's not consecrated to Him. If we're in a sinful relationship, Paul says, shall we continue in that relationship expecting God to bless us? He says, God forbid. We're Christians. And if we're Christians, that means we've been delivered from a sinful lifestyle. That means we've been delivered from uh, maybe controlling, abusive Manipulative relationships We don't have to be a part of those anymore Because we've been saved by the grace of God And if we've been saved by the grace of God And we continue to do the things That we know aren't right God has to leave us To the consequences of those things that we choose And so in Romans chapter 6 verses 3 and 4 Paul is basically telling us That we've been born again Why doesn't somebody read that for us actually? Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. I think my head's a little bit groggy from all that good food. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Someone like to read that for us?
1: Did you forget that all of us became part of Christ when we were baptized? We shared his death in our baptism. So when we were baptized, we were buried with Christ and shared his death. We were buried with him so that we could live a new life, just as Christ was raised from, the, from death by the wonderful power of the Father.
0: Okay, so what's Paul saying here with all these big words and these long sentences? Number one, he says, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? He says, God forbid, how shall we who've been delivered from sin continue any longer in it? So he's saying we have a new life that we have started. And baptism is basically just a testimony of that life. Paul says that because we've been born again, and that's being testified by the baptism that we've entered into, he said we begin to walk in a whole different way of life.
1: Mm-hmm. And so, in a sense, when we're baptized and we go under the water, all our sins are washed away, and when we come up, we're a resurrected a new
0: person. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We're, we're new and different people completely.
1: So long as we continue to study and strive to be.
0: Okay, good. How many of you have been baptized in here today? Well, praise the Lord. Now, let me ask you. Have you continued in that relationship with Jesus? As good as you could, I could. Yeah, the, the Bible teaches us and we know that we're going to have some challenges along the way. We're going to do things that we probably shouldn't do. But there's forgiveness for that because Jesus gave his life uh, for those specific situations so that we could continue on in our Christian experience. But I'm thinking right now of a situation where we know better and we're continuing in the sinful situation that we shouldn't be in. And ultimately, we're walking away from the experience that God has given to us and that the baptism testifies of. And I wonder if anybody in here is like that today, where you were baptized, but maybe it just hasn't sunk in and you're off running and doing things, and you're involved in a whole different life that you really shouldn't be involved in. Just a thought, just a question. Because if you are, today is the day to return. Amen? Uh, Jesus promises us. It's not just some situation where, all right, I've I've read the 28 fundamental beliefs and I've spent a lot of time in church and I go to to juniors or whatever class it is that we go to, early teens or young adults, and I go there every single week and all these things makes me a good Adventist, so I'm good to go. That's not it. The Christian experience is way deeper than that. It's more than the 28 fundamental beliefs. It's more than hanging out with Seventh-day Adventists. It's more than going to Sabbath school. Like we've been talking every seminar, it's all about having a relationship with Christ and staying in that relationship. And and like the Bible says, abiding in Him. The Bible says, He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do how much? Mm -hmm. Nothing. And that fruit that he's talking about is the fruit of of a life that's been changed and it hangs out there for all the people to see. When you drive by an apple tree early in the season, uh, how many apples do you see? None, no. right? But when it starts coming on, season hits, it's maybe August or September, or at least that's the way it is for us on the West Coast. All of a sudden we see, start seeing all of this red fruit growing on the apple trees out there. And then I know for sure what kind of tree that is. Initially, I may not know because there's no leaves on it. There's no fruit on it. And I'm thinking hmm, maybe an apple tree, but maybe it's a nut tree or maybe it's something else. When the apples come out, I know that it's an apple tree. Amen? Amen. And so when we're Christians and we're bearing fruit to God, people know that we're Christians. Our life reveals that. And so if we can look at our lives objectively and we can say that there's fruit there, praise God. But if we look at our lives and we see that that we're not bearing much fruit, then we need to really assess our experience with him and kind of get back to where we need to be. And so when we talk about fruit, um, spiritually speaking, in our lives, what, uh, what are some fruits that uh, might be revealed in our life that might be hanging on our human tree, if you will, to tell other people that we're Christians? None. We don't have fruit. Help me out here. What kind of things should people see hanging on our Christian tree, or our, our life? What should they see? Kindness? Kindness. Um, a happy heart. Happy heart? Helpfulness. Okay. Okay. Faith. Faith. Okay? Peace. Peace? Anything else? There's a lot of different types of fruit for sure. The
1: way,
0: the way we talk, okay. The way we communicate with other people, the way we hold ourselves or carry ourselves okay, the friends that we have in our associations, even every look that we make, right? Every look that we have will tell, tell whether or not on a consistent basis, whether or not we're Christians. And so when we're baptized and we're brought up from the watery grave, it represents that whole complete change in our lives. And no longer are we bound to the old life that we used to be a part of. Now, I'm sure that all of you are really, really good kids and you've never done anything bad in your life. Is that right? Yep. I thought so.
1: Perfect.
0: <laughs> you can have little halos. A little
1: halos. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> None of us are. The Bible tells us that. Uh, but when we're born again, God gives us the opportunity to leave that whole entire old life behind and we can start a new life. And in that new life, the Bible tells us that no longer are we bound by the principles of this sinful world we're no longer servants of satan we become servants of who god. servants of god and as servants of god we have the opportunity the privilege and we also have the responsibility of rightly representing him in this world and that's what this whole series of meetings is about, whether you're sitting with Wes, whether you're sitting with me or Marion, or whether you're listening to, listening to Matt speak, whoever's talking, whatever we're doing here, it's all about being a faithful witness for God before the world. And God tells us that once we're in that relationship with Him, we do not have to yield ourselves to the enemy. We yield ourselves to Him. People see the difference in our lives, and it has an impact on their life too. And so when we think about this in the context of relationships, if we've been raised to newness of life, if we're no longer yielding ourselves to the enemy and to his sinful principles, and we're yielding ourselves to God, and the Bible says yielding ourselves to to righteousness, to be servants of righteousness, then it should be telltale in our relationships that we're actually those servants of God. And what I see too often is that there are a lot of people who take the name of Christian, But when you look at the way they're interacting with each other, there's no Christian about it. And the challenge that we have today is overcoming that situation. And as young people, I really feel that you need to keep it in your mind because all of the influences that are coming at you are telling you one thing, and what you really need to keep in your mind is the first thing, that you are no longer, by the grace of God, subject to be led around by the nose, if you will, by Satan. Okay? Have you ever seen cows in the pasture that have the rings in yes. their nose? Okay, what do they do with them? They lead them by them. Yeah, they put them in their nose and then they put another clip on it and they take the rope or whatever it is that they want to pull them around by and they give a good yank on that and the and the, uh, the cow knows that it needs to follow or the horse even, whatever it is that they're, they're pulling around. And Satan has too often done that for you and to, to you and to me. In our last seminar, we found that uh, Satan takes you and he takes me. He leads us into a relationship with him, if you will, or outside of Christ. And then he uses us against the kingdom of God and he exults over them. He laughs at God and says, God, ha, ha these people said that they were yours, but, he's saying, or, but I'm telling you that they're really workers of mine. So the good news is we don't have to be there anymore. In Romans chapter 6, verses 13 and 14, if someone could read that for us. Romans six thirteen and fourteen. Who's going to read it?
1: Be not guilty, your members as instruments of uprightness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not
0: under the law but under grace. Amen so paul 's telling us that sin no longer has dominion over us because we 're no longer satan's servants we're god 's servants, very simply put, and so we do not have to yield to him like I said before, and I want to bring it down to a practical level with, with, uh, in the relationship uh, from the relationship aspect of it all. You do not have to yield, especially young ladies, to any young man trying to coerce you or, or work you into a situation that you know you shouldn 't be in Amen? Amen it'll happen. Someone along the way is going to appeal to you in some way, and it may be very forward or it may be very subtly, but at some point in time, more than likely, someone's going to approach you and try to get something from you that is not theirs. And one thing that you're responsible for is the way that you represent yourself to them. If you're in a relationship with Christ, there is almost a barrier around you in some ways, telling the other people, telling guys if you're girls and and girls if you're guys, telling that other person that you are off limits. When a Christian is really in a relationship with God, God reveals through them His purity, His love, His simplicity, and people are drawn to them. But they're not drawn to them not, not normally in a in a sexual way, if you will. Okay. They like what they see, but there's something different about it. They're not a worldly person. And people see that and they want that, but there's not necessarily a situation where they're looking for something more than that. But if you're not representing God the right way and you let your guard down, and it can even come down to the very clothes that you're wearing, okay, even the perfume that you're wearing, the way that you wear your hair, the way that you walk, the way that you talk, the way that you look at people. If any of these things that I'm talking about right now are not in harmony with the principles of God's kingdom, you're leaving yourself open to the attacks of the enemy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of times young people think that uh, the church is a bit overbearing when we tell them to dress modestly and appropriately and to be simple and and let the... Uh, Adorning of the person be the inward adorning of the heart Not the outward adorning of the plating of the hair Or the wearing of jewels or gold or whatever it is Um, It's more important that you have that inward beauty That natural beauty that comes from God Because it keeps you much more safe from all the promiscuity And the attacks and the advances of the enemy Through the opposite sex Okay. Now if we were to read on here in Romans chapter 6 verse 21, it says, "For then you were the servants of sin, for when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. Choosing a relationship that God has not ordained will only result in losing your salvation." And that's what Paul's basically saying here. It says, um, "What fruit had you then? What fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. It's shameful to be in a bad relationship. It's shameful to you. It's shameful to God. And basically what Paul is telling us is in that type of relationship, the only thing that we have to look forward to is death itself. And I can't underscore that enough, that if we are in a bad relationship, we have not a great future to look forward to. Okay. Also, when I think about what God wants to do for us, even though uh, we're reading right now about all these principles and the things that we need to protect ourselves from, God also wants to give us the desires of our hearts. And if we're living according to His principles, if we're living according to His righteousness, if we've been baptized, we're we're born again, we're living to newness of life, we put away all the old things and we're new people and we want to do new things for God and we're trying to live a pure life with Him, God will give us the desire of our hearts if they're in harmony with His. And so if you ever think about being married or even being in in a relationship with someone, if you're in a relationship with God and you're praying about it, He's going to bring you to the right person. Do you believe that? He's going to unite you with just the one that He wants you to be with. But if we don't follow Him, if we don't submit to Him, He will even allow us to enter into a bad situation because He will not control the conscience. And it's a sad picture sometimes. God wants to give us the desire of our hearts, but sometimes we want to do our own thing. And God's appealing to us and He's appealing to us, but ultimately we tell Him no. And He says, all right, you know what? You're on your own. Kind of like what we read here in Hosea chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. It says, Ephraim has joined himself to idols. Leave him alone. God was appealing to Ephraim time and time and time again. But Ephraim kept uh, going into apostasy. The Bible says in verse 18 that he was in rebellion. And God finally says, hey, listen, I can't force you to be in a relationship with me. I love you very, very much. And all throughout Hosea, he's talking to Ephraim in that way with words of love and affirmation. But Ephraim says, listen, I, I don't want to be in a relationship with you, God. And finally God says, all right, Ephraim, you've joined yourself to idols. I'm going to leave you alone. And also in Matthew chapter 24, verse 37, uh, Jesus was looking at the Jewish nation. He looked down in Jerusalem and he says, how long have I desired to gather you as a hen does her chickens, but you were not willing. Therefore your house is left unto you desolate. The awesome thing about God is he never coerces or forces the conscience. He always leaves us free to make our own decisions. But sometimes those decisions that we make lead us into very bad situations. This is a bad situation for Ephraim because he was joined to idols and he suffered the consequences for it. It's a bad situation for the Jews because they wouldn't receive Jesus. And it ended up to be a bad situation for for them. And I'm wondering today, as we wrap up our seminar... As you've been listening to things that we've been talking about, is there an area in your life that you're not allowing God into? Or is there an area that you uh, maybe have going that uh, God is speaking to you, but you're not submitting to Him? Is there anything like that in your life? Yes? Well, let me ask you a question then. What are you going to do about it?
1: into your mind that you don't want there. And the best way to handle
0: it is through prayer. Okay. All right. Praise the Lord. Anybody else challenged with that whole concept of uh, entering into bad situations we know that we shouldn't be in? And not doing anything with it right now. Ultimately, even though God said these things to these people it didn't mean that he didn't love them, okay? And when we do things that aren't right, when we enter into relationships that aren't good, God still loves us. It's just that he has us deal with the consequences that come from those bad decisions. Now, let me ask you a question again. Does God allow those consequences for our harm or for our good? For our good. Good. How so? So that we can
1: learn. And it's wrong can't be corrected anymore, in a
0: sense. Mm. Okay. God longs for us to be his witnesses, okay. He longs for us to to share our experience with him with other people. And if we continue down a path that isn't right, every moment that we're walking down that path that isn't right, we're not giving an influence for heaven. We're giving an influence against heaven. And so correction comes because, number one, God loves us and He wants us to be in the kingdom. Number two, He sees the usefulness and effectiveness uh, that we can have in this world if we will be willing to listen to Him. You know, God sees everything before it happens, amen? amen? And He sees everything that we can be, even though we don't see any of it at all. And I would imagine that if we could see what God sees in us, the capabilities that, not we that we have on ourselves, but that God... Uh, the capabilities that God gives to us, that He enables us uh, to achieve and, and to have and to do, however you want to say it. If we could see what we could be with God, I guarantee you that our lives would be completely and totally different from what they are right now. We wouldn't assume that God is going to be with us. We wouldn't take Him for granted. We wouldn't run around acting foolishly. And talking about things we shouldn't be talking about. We shouldn't be hanging out with people we shouldn't be hanging out with. If we saw ourselves the way that God sees us. And the way that he wants us to be. Our lives would be completely different. We wouldn't be hesitant to go out and share our faith with somebody else. We wouldn't be trying to get away with as much as we could. Without getting in trouble. Our lives would be completely and totally different. But because we don't spend the time that we need to with them, we don't see what he sees. We don't understand what he understands. And we kind of have this half-baked Christianity that we meander through all of our life. And I'm going to tell you, you're in a dangerous situation if you're having that type of experience. Because it doesn't get any better if you don't pursue it. God said, if you seek me, you'll find me if you search for me with all of your heart. That is an all-out commitment on God's part to even appeal to you that way, but it needs to be an all-out commitment on your part to go after what he's promised. If you don't, you'll always remain in the situation where you think that you know God, you have a Bible in your room, you attend Bible uh, school, if you will, or Bible class at, at your academy, but you'll never be a Christian because you've never pursued God. The way that he's asked you to. You had a question.
1: Um, actually, I was thinking about when you were saying about associations and stuff. Um, Jesus said in the scriptures, "It is better that you were hot or cold than to be lukewarm."
0: Okay. So, why do you think it's better for us to be hot or cold rather than in the middle?
1: Conservative and doing things you shouldn't, and the things you shouldn't can become more and more con- temptation until you're cold. Or you could become hot by deciding something happens in your life and God off you in the your head with a two by four.
0: To be hot means that we're on fire for God. Amen. Amen. To be cold means that we are not at all where we need to be. And it's a good place to be too, because it's there that we can really recognize our condition sometimes. But to be in a situation where we're terribly comfortable and we don't see our need is the most dangerous position to be in because we don't see our need for God, yet we think that we're okay. The Bible says in, the, in Revelation chapter 3, it says, Uh, that you think that you're rich and increased in goods and have need of nothing. In other words, I take the name of Seventh-day Adventist, but I sit in these seminars and I do it just because my friends are here and I'm not really listening, I don't really care, but I do it because this is what everybody else is doing. And then in your mind you think that you're okay and that you have a salvation experience with God and really you're outside of an experience with God altogether. You're rich and increased in goods and have need of nothing. And it says, you don't even know. That's what it says. You do not realize that you're poor and wretched and miserable and blind and naked. In other words, you think you're in a relationship with me, but you're completely outside of a relationship with me. And Jesus says in that text, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And I think a lot of times, especially in this day and age, this is where our young people are at. So, so many young people in the church, they come to church, but they're not listening. They hang out in little groups in the hallway uh, doing their thing. I would barely see them cracking their Bibles to know more about the God who's made them and created them. And I wonder sometimes to myself whether or not they're going to be in the kingdom of God. And it saddens me to think that that they're right there. I mean, they're right in God's house. They're in the very presence of God on Sabbath, and they don't even realize it. And they don't even care. And I think about the, the people that we've been talking about this, this uh, week, from the, or this last few days from the Bible. Samson, he didn't really care, did he? He wanted to do his own thing. And because of that, he failed in his witness. And I think of the Jews. The Bible says that Jesus came unto his own, but his own didn't receive him. Have you read that before? It's in John chapter 1. Let's take a look at it real quick. John chapter 1, and let me give you the, the specific verse here. Uh, We'll start reading in verse 4. It says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The Bible calls Jesus the light of the world. And it says, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness to the light that all men through him might believe. And it says that John wasn't that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. We know that Jesus was the light. In verse 9, it says, That was the true light, which lights every man that comes into the world. And then in verse 10, it says this, He was in the world, and the world was made by him. And amazingly enough, it says the world didn't even know him. It goes on to say, He came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. And so Jesus came into this world. He came to a people that he had been communicating with for years the people that he had called uh, years and years before to be his special and peculiar people but they had fallen so far out of relationship with him that when he came they didn't even recognize him and when he tried to reach them they rejected him why because they didn't want his counsel they wanted to to do things their way they were basically saying we hear you God but we're not listening And if you look closely in the Bible, I'll just give you some insight here. This wasn't uh, the beginning of Jesus' appeal to them to come back into relationship. It started back in the book of Daniel when Daniel received the vision of the 490 years. God was through that prophecy calling His people back into relationship with Him. He was telling them in so many words, Hey, listen, I want you to come back in relationship with me and ultimately I'm going to send my son to you with the hope that one day we might be reconciled. And so Jesus comes. He starts talking to them. He starts communicating with them. They reject him. They reject him. They reject him. They reject him to the point of actually killing him. It's like walking into your own house and meeting your entire family there. And they're screaming at you, saying, we're going to kill you. We hate you. We're going to kill you. How odd would that be? How would you feel if you walked into your house today and you heard those things and your your family was there with guns and knives and they were dead serious about killing you? How would you feel? Like terrible, rejected, scared. So Jesus comes to his own, but his own didn't receive him. And ultimately he's there, longing to be in relationship with them. And here's the result of the rejection. They murdered him. And right before he was murdered, he comes to this point, and he says, "How long have I desired to gather you as a hen desert chicks, but you were not willing, and therefore your house is left unto you desolate." Jesus was the light of the world, and the Jews themselves were called a peculiar people because they were supposed to be a light to the world, they were supposed to be communicating to the world what God was all about and telling the nations about who God was and bringing the nations into relationship with God so that all the world could know who He was. And they failed in their witness. Why? Because they wanted to do things their their own way. They didn't want to do things the way that God had revealed to them in the Bible. They didn't want to accept Jesus as their Savior. They didn't acknowledge Him when He came into the world. They wanted to hold on to their traditions and ultimately they killed their Savior. They lost their lives and they destroyed their witness. And now Jesus has passed the baton to people like you and like me, to the church in the world today. And the question I want to ask you is are we in the same situation that Samson was? Are we hearing God, but do we want to do it our own way? Are we in the same condition that the Jews were? We hear God, but we're trying to do things our own way. You know, Satan was in the same situation, wasn't he? You've read the passage of scripture where it talks about how he wanted to rule and be like the Most High. He wanted to sit on God's throne. He wanted the worship of God. And ultimately, that's what he's aiming for. He couldn't handle just being an angel living in the very presence of God. He wanted wanted to be God himself. And I believe that God appealed to Lucifer to put those fanciful thoughts away and come back into relationship with him. The Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Have you heard that before? Yeah. And the Bible says that toward us, God is merciful. He's long-suffering, not willing that any of us should perish, but all should come to repentance. And I believe that he worked that way with Satan too. But Satan refused, and he refused, and he refused, and he wanted to do it his way, and ultimately he got his way. And he lost his own soul. And this is the danger of not receiving the counsel of God and doing things our way. The danger is that we'll fail in our witness and we'll actually lose our lives. The Bible talks about the results of doing things our own way, and if you look with me, Romans chapter one verses seventeen through twenty four. Romans chapter one verses seventeen through twenty four. Times is this class over? Four? All right, just wanted to make sure. Here in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, it says, uh, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by... What's it say? Faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Paul begins to tell us that there are people who've heard the message and who know... God, but they're wanting to do it their own way. He goes on to say, because that which may be known of God is revealed in them, for God has showed it to them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that everyone is without excuse. And he's saying especially those people who hear about who God is, who understand the principles of righteousness, but actually reject them. He says they're without excuse because God has revealed Himself fully enough to them that they don't have to make bad decisions. But what we find here is that these are people that don't want to acknowledge God and they just want to do it their own way. It goes on to say, "...because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened." God was trying to speak to them, they said, I want to do it my way, they began to reject him, and it says that their foolish hearts began to darken. And it goes on and tells about this terrible state of being that they, they came into. It says, "...professing themselves to be wise, they became fools." and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So this is the result of rejecting the counsel of God. This is the result of wanting to do things our way rather than God's way. Now, I don't know about you, but I would like to better do things God's way. How do you feel about that? Mm -hmm. I think God's plan is much better. It's much safer. You know, it says here that they gave themselves up to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. That means in some capacity, whatever Paul's talking about here, he saw human beings interacting in a very satanic way, dishonoring the bodies that God had given to them and also defiling the minds that God had provided to them. And ultimately, it led them into a situation where they were deluded and out of harmony and out of relationship with Christ. And Paul says, the only thing that you have to look forward to is the judgment of God. And now you know why it's so important to be in a relationship with Jesus. God's desire for us is to be in an open and communicative relationship with you. That's what He wants, and that's what He's aiming for. In Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1-4, through four, It says, My son, if you will receive my words and hide my commandments with you, so that you incline your ear unto wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry after knowledge and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hid treasures, then you shall understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Basically, when it comes down to it, what Solomon is telling us is that God is longing to be in relationship with us. He's asking that we would communicate with Him. When it comes to understanding and wisdom and, and knowledge, where do all those things come from? God. They come from God. And so when God is saying, listen, I want you to listen to wisdom, I want you to get understanding, I want you to cry after knowledge, I want you to lift up your voice for understanding, what He's saying is I want you to come and communicate with me because I want to communicate with you and I want to make sure that I give you everything that you need to give you safe travel through this life. And the knowledge and the wisdom and the understanding that God promises us here will safeguard us in any type of relationship that we come into. The only question that we need to answer is, is this book important to me? Will I receive it as the voice of God to my soul? Will I accept its counsel? Or will I, again today, leave it on the shelf and not pick it up and go have a good time with my friends? I'll show up tomorrow, I'll come to worship and then I'll go hang out with my friends. I'll get on my phone, I'll start text messaging and I'll put this on the shelf. We can put this on the shelf and put this on the shelf and put this on the shelf. And when Jesus comes, it's still going to be on the shelf. And you, well, you'll have no excuse. That's what Paul tells us. I don't want to be in that condition and I don't want any of you to be in that condition. And it's my heart longing today that not just a few of you would get it, but if you haven't been reading your Bibles, if you haven't been studying, if it's not important to you, that somehow God could change your heart and that you could be won back to the kingdom. Because I fear today as I look around the room, that there are some of you who don't even know Jesus Christ. And you're going to lose your soul. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, God counsels us to trust in him with all of our hearts, to not lean on our own understanding, But in every aspect of our lives, acknowledge him and he will direct our paths. Amen. Amen. If there's anything that I can share with you, it's that today. You may not know God, you may not understand him, but today's the day to trust in him. Today's the day to acknowledge Him, especially when it comes to your relationships, whether it's with guys and girls or whether it's with you and your girlfriends or or guys and their guy friends. Acknowledge God in every aspect of your life and know that He will lead you safely through to the other side. And hopefully, by God's grace, you'll have a witness in the midst of all of this uh, stuff that's going on in the world and and through the path that God is leading you, and you can bring someone to the kingdom with you. Wouldn't that be great? I always tell people, I do not want to be in the kingdom of heaven. Standing by myself while I watch these groups of people gather maybe by the tree of life or by the river of life or maybe by the lions that are gathered over on that hill or the tigers gathered on that hill. Maybe there's a group over by Moses and they're all talking about how in some capacity all of them were involved in the other's life and bringing them into the kingdom of God. Because they were all faithful witnesses and their witness had an effect on somebody else's life and that life had had an effect on another life and it's just a chain reaction that brings this whole group of people together in heaven. It's going to be an an amazing reunion. I don't want to be the person, and this person won't be there by the way, but I don't want to be the person who would be standing there by themselves because they didn't share their life and their faith with at least one other person in this world. So, a final thought for you. This says, I've been shown the evil of these early attachments, talking about relationships between guys and gals, especially when a young man is away from, from the home roof and must select his companion without the discriminating eye of his mother. In other words, he's out there running around and he has no accountability and he's getting into relationships that he probably wouldn't be in if he could have counsel and good counsel. We find here that this may be a young man who's out doing things his own way and not listening to God's way. He says it's not safe for you to trust your own judgment. Early anxiety upon the subject of courtship and marriage will divert your mind from work and studies and will produce in you... You and the one whom you flatter with your attention, a demoralizing influence. She's saying, Be careful. Don't get into relationships too soon. Don't move too quickly because it will divert your attention from the things that are necessary and it could actually have a demoralizing influence on you. And again, it could cause you to lose your own salvation. It says, there will be in you both a vain forwardness in manners and infatuation will seize you both and you'll be so completely blinded in regard to your influence and example that you will, if you continue in your course you have entered upon, expose yourselves to criticism and demand that censure should be passed upon your course. The curse of God rests upon many of the ill-timed, inappropriate connections that are formed in this age of the world. If the Bible left these questions in a vague, uncertain light, then the course that many, and I'm going to say many of you pursue, today are pursuing in their attachments for one another would be more excusable. But the requirements of the Bible are not halfway injunctions. They demand perfect purity of thought, of word, and of deed. We are grateful to God that His word is a light to the feet the feet. And that none need mistake the path of duty. The young should make it a business to consult its pages and heed its counsels, for sad mistakes are always made in departing from its precepts. And she says all that in a context of getting into relationships without the counsel of God and godly people. And so at the end of this seminar, I know that maybe you've heard some things that are kind of confrontational. I hope so. Uh, you guys are pretty resilient. I know how young people are. You're good to go for a while. But I want to recommend to you at the end of our time together, the last sentence in these two paragraphs, that you would make it your business to consult the pages of the Bible, to heed its counsel and not make the sad mistakes in departing from its precepts and ruining your life And ruining the lives of other people. Amen. Amen. The Bible. It's your rule of faith. It's the strength of your Christian experience, along with prayer, of course. And it is a light on your path that will lead you back to the one who loves you with all of his heart. And that's Jesus Christ. And by God's grace, there'll be a few of us there with you. Amen? Amen. How many of you want to commit to at least getting back to it if you're not already there? And if you're already there, to dig deeper and to search for those hidden treasures that God has right here for you. How many of you want to commit to that today as we close? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for our time together again. And we're closing with this last seminar. And Lord, we have just been talking about the dangers and the realities of getting into wrong relationships and not following godly counsel. And there's so much more that comes after that, Lord, when it comes to courtship and marriage principles. And what you're telling us is that the relationship between man and woman is so incredible and can be so powerful, and yet it could be so dangerous. Lord, I pray for these young people as they've made some of them a commitment to study their Bibles um, more. I pray that you would give them the strength and the grace to dig in deep for themselves and for others so that they can come across on the other side and be ready when you come, Jesus and live forever in the joys and the peace and the quietness and assurance of heaven. And Father, I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.